Good day, everyone. El Nino Speaks is back in action. And today I'm here with Rich Cooper of the YouTube channel Entrepreneurs in Cars. What's new with you, man? Hey, how you doing, man? Thanks for having me on. Well, before we drop some uncomfortable truths about a host of topics today, tell my audience more about yourself. Oh, okay. Well, uh, I guess we should warn them that they should uh, strap in and put on the seatbelt because we're going we're gonna <laughs> to drop some truth bombs today on the reality of the way the world works. So I started this in 2014, the YouTube channel, the main one anyway, with the intention of um, really just interviewing successful entrepreneur friends of mine and their uh, cars because I'm a car guy and I love hanging out with entrepreneurs. But that kind of quickly changed and pivoted when people started to recognize that I was real good at identifying and offering solutions to problems. So one of the biggest problems people seem to deal with is uh, with women in their lives, making money, self-care. Making money kind of ties into entrepreneurship. And, you know, I have um, I have some material on that, but that's really what I've been recognized for. I, I published a book a couple of years ago called The Unplugged Alpha. Uh, I built a podcast around the Unplugged Alpha brand as well. So that's what I've been up to. Yes. Now, from what I've gathered following your work in the past three years, it's definitely centered on self-improvement, but you've controversially positioned yourself in this space for some of your views on intersexual dynamics, basically the way men and women interact with each other. This is what's called colloquially the red pill. First off, could you define what this concept is and why do you think that this concept is so important for young men and I'd say men of all ages to learn about? Yeah, so sort of the origin of that was pulled from the hit movie, The Matrix, where Morpheus offers Neo a blue pill or a red pill. And he basically says, uh, you can take the blue one and uh, plug back into The Matrix and sleepwalk through the rest of your life, or you can take the red one and let's go down the rabbit hole and uh, talk about the reality of the world and how it really works. So the red pill has sort of been adopted and stolen from that movie. Since then, they've manufactured a whole bunch of other pills, by the way, purple, white, black, you know, <laughs> whatever yeah. suits their ego investments and their narratives at the time. But what it really just boils down to is unplugging from the comforting lies that society sells people. Uh, comforting lies always sell way better than the uncomfortable truth. So I more or less sort of just, I don't really care what color pill you identify with. It's, it's really just have you unplugged from the matrix and, you know, can you, can you see the world for what it really is? So I've noticed that everyone tends to have an origin story with regards how they came into the red pill space. Some people woke up to the harsh, this harsh reality through just real world experience, namely horrible relationships or even an agonizing divorce process. In your case, what got you to embrace the red pill? I think it was a few things that sort of pushed me to go and ask some questions and um, ask some very un uncomfortable questions. So, I mean, the first thing was going through a divorce, which was about a decade ago now, where I was kind of forced to accept that marriage and divorce law and family law are not what I thought it was. I thought it would just be like a simple, easy process. The marriage didn't work out. Uh, it was a bad fit. You would just untie the knot, you know, deal with that in an amicable fashion and take care of parenting uh, your kid or any children, you know, that you might have. 
And that wasn't the case. It was it was acrimonious. It was difficult. I saw that family law was heavily skewed to the mother's favor. The transfer of, of wealth is generally designed to move money from the father to the mother. And um, there's a whole bunch of other things that sort of tie into that. And that was really like the first thing. The second thing after that was I had, during the course of my business, had to answer what was basically an attack on the uh, financial structure and the instruments, the way the business worked and the way that it got paid. So I ran a, uh, a debt negotiation business in uh, the credit card debt relief space. Started up in, in 2003 when the banks and credit card companies caught wind of what we were doing and how we were saving people money, which was all over the top, uh, legal and everything like that. They petitioned the government to change the legislation so that it would delay and reduce the uh, income events for the business. So that would uh, essentially put us out of business. And I was like, well, hold on a second. I thought that entrepreneurs were supposed to be, you know, the engine of the economy and the people that are hired and the people that, uh, you know, help develop. And I was I was shocked and appalled to discover that the government regulators actually respond to, I guess, the people with the deepest pockets to protect their profit margins. So that was a bit of a shock. And I've talked about that a little bit more on my channel and a few other podcasts as well. And I guess the third thing was, was after my divorce, I started dating this um, single mom. She had a couple kids from a prior marriage and I invested into it. I took a, you know, hook, line and sinker. You know, I, I grew up watching things like the Brady Bunch and all these like Hollywood shows that they broadcast uh, to us, telling us to just, you know, man up and do the right thing, which is a different narrative from what they tell women. You know, they tell women do what's right for you, girl, but they tell guys, you know, you got to do the right thing. So I had a lot of, I guess, BS that, you know, came as a result of dating a single mom, uh, a lot of lies and deception. She ended up cheating on me. You know, kids were pretty badly behaved and I had to tolerate all of that as, you know, part of the part of the deal of just being that stand-up sort of guy. So there's a few things that I kind of went through over the last decade, which was just like, you know, just got to the point where I was like, all right, I kind of suspect that things aren't this way and they shouldn't be this way. And why is, you know, society and, and culture and religion and, and media and, and Hollywood telling me things have to be this way. And then I started kind of started to sort of go down the rabbit hole of, you know, what's colloquially you know, known as the red pill and uh, reading up on Evo Psych and, you know, stuff like that. Like I never really had a problem with attracting women. It was just kind of understanding why women were attracted and why they would stick around and, you know, maybe, you, you know, doing things that would kind of like push them away. And those are really the events that I had to sort of explore and identify, you know, for myself. And as I was going about doing that and talking about it on my YouTube channel, I noticed there's a lot of people that really resonated with it. And they were like, holy smokes, uh, I'm glad you put this out there sort of thing. It was like the whole make your wounds your work. And that's essentially what I did. You know, what I was going through in my life, I just sort of talked about it publicly on YouTube and people resonated with it. And because I'm an older season sort of gentleman, I guess they, you know, respected and valued my opinion and things that I talked about. You give dating advice to men of all ages, and that makes sense because there's been what I would say like a multi-generational set of myths being spread with regards to intersexual dynamics. And I've come to the conclusion over years in this space and also in the political space because I'm mostly into politics and I've generally done work in that field for the better part of a decade. And I've come to this conclusion that virtually everything you hear about these days is a myth from the politics you follow down to the relationship advice you receive. In your uh, years of experience being 
quote unquote, plugged in to the red pill space. What would you say is the biggest myth being spread about intersexual dynamics in contemporary times? Yeah. And that's a great statement because it, because like the whole unplugging process expands beyond just women. And I used to make fun of the, uh, you know, the context because guys would be like, well, how do I get the girls? Because that's all they really tend to focus on. But it's like, it goes beyond that. It, you know, like you've been lied to by um, government. You've been manipulated in pretty much every area of your life. And they do that to sort of control you. I mean, there's a reason why they do it, obviously. But I think the biggest myth when it comes down to relationships is just about everything that guys have been told from a young age with at some point they hear something like just be yourself or just be a nice guy sort of thing. And the right one will come along and she'll see you for what you are and who you are sort of stuff. And that just simply isn't true. It's a big fat lie. Men need to compete and women choose. You know, that's why I say that she doesn't care about your struggles. Women hang out at the finish line and they pick the winner, right? So there's all these little sort of like tight sound bites that I've come up with over the years that sort of identify these issues and help guys sort of understand them. But you've got to become like men need to make something out of themselves. And there's too many guys today that just think that it's okay to relax, uh, get lazy, get fat, you know, spend your marriage sitting around on the couch watching sports with Cheeto dust on your beard and your shirt sort of thing. <laughs> you know, women get incredibly frustrated with guys that, that, that stop chasing excellence in their lives. And that's what creates a lot of problems, you know, between the sexes and a lot of the stuff um, I do. It's, it's, it's very helpful for relationships in the sense that women benefit from it too, because I tell guys like, don't get lazy, chase excellence, you know, don't get fat sort of thing. Make sure you're competent and that you can solve problems. I mean, men today have become slow and lazy, you know, like there's guys today that don't know how to put fuel in a lawnmower. There's guys that don't know how to change a flat tire. Like these are basic skills that my uh, dad taught me when I was a kid that a lot of men aren't even taught today for a whole slew of reasons. So yeah, it's a, it really just tie, you know, like boils down to you need to become something as a guy. And most men today have been feminized and told that uh, they don't need to do that. And it's not that important anymore because women are now strong and independent. And that, you know, that creates another slew of problems. That's why you have women today that are going around, you know, saying things like, I don't need no man or a woman needs a man like a fish needs a bicycle sort of thing, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's totally, it's a total clown show and an inversion from, of like what a rational society would be organized around. Now, your business content is quite remarkable. And I've actually noticed an increasing number of red pill content creators getting into side hustles or just flat out becoming entrepreneurs. Why is it so important? for people to branch out into these types of ventures. Are you talking with respects to content creators or content consumers? Mostly like of getting into just like building like a side hustle or uh, other income streams and even getting into entrepreneurship. Why do you think it's like important for people to consider those options these days? Yeah, well, I mean, there's a whole bunch of reasons. So I guess we can kind of start with this. We live in a society today that's not a patriarchy, you know, like a lot of people bark and complain about. We live in a matriarchy, like women yeah, are, yeah, like, you know, women are put first, they're, they're the protected sex. They have been for a long time and men are the disposable sex. Society just treats men differently than the way it treats women. If you work in the corporate world, 
They're now shoving uh, pronouns down your throat. They have to go in your uh, bio. Like I did a Zoom call last night with my private community because I have a course out called the School of Entrepreneurship. And one of the guys that bought the course and was in it was in the Zoom room. And he had in his uh, name, like if his name was Richard Cooper, he had in brackets after that, he, him. And the first thing I asked him, I said, uh, what's up with the pronouns just after your name? He's like, oh, I had to have that there for my last corporate call because they encourage people. Like, this is the way the corporate world works right now is they try to shove all these like devices and instruments down the throat of society and especially men, which ends up feminizing them, making them weaker, makes them more complacent and malleable, which is what they want, right? Like they want obedient sheep. So they don't want you thinking outside of the box. Now, the reason why I tell guys to go and make something out of themselves and entrepreneurship is not for everybody. It, it's, it's, a, it's a wonderful path and there's some people that are made for it and there's some people who are just not cut out for it. But there's a lot of people that get frustrated with the corporate world. I'm tired of lining my boss's pocket with gold. I get treated like crap. I'm forced to do things that I don't necessarily agree with. I had a conversation with a guy a few weeks ago who was telling me that there was a corporate event that was scheduled that had a surprise and they didn't tell oh. everybody what the surprise was. <laughs> and they ended up showing up and they had a drag show, like a drag queen set up Lord for the have employees. Mercy, man. And he was like, what am I doing here? Like, why are they shoving this down my throat? So it's like being an entrepreneur now gives you an opportunity to control your own destiny beyond just making a couple of bucks now. Now you can really do something where you can solve bigger problems. You could have put a dent in the universe and it's never been easier. Like there's been no time in history where it's ever been easier to start up your own business and earn an income and basically write your own paycheck than it is today. So what I do is I show people in my course with the School of Entrepreneurship, the difference between hard, annoying, lame, frustrating businesses and the kinds that are easy, fun, and lucrative. It's actually very easy today to, to, to even, you know, the term side hustle, I don't really like, but to create a side business, you know, if you will, to sort of start up something, it's very, very easy to do that now as a company of one where you don't need employees, uh, don't need to adjust your business model to any mainstream narrative that you may not necessarily agree with. So that's why I'm very bullish on entrepreneurs, because I really truly believe that they're going to solve most of the problems in the world going forward. And it's a better path for men today than it is, you know, working in the corporate world, you know, for all the reasons that I mentioned. Was there ever a red pilling moment for you that made you realize that entrepreneurship was the only way for you to attain financial sovereignty? Yeah, I mean, all you have to do is work in any corp, like modern corporation today. And um, it's just infused with utter and complete nonsense. I mean, most of them, most of the jobs that, that people do today would, like, they don't really matter. You know, like the vast majority of the population could realistically go home, like universal basic in- income to yeah. just give people basic needs. Although, like, I'm not a fan of socialism or any of those, you know, sorts of isms, you know, sort of thing would, would like, it wouldn't make a difference if like a large you know percentage of the population just didn't go to work and didn't do their job. It's like, whatever, they're just doing these bullshit jobs anyway, sort of thing. You know, setting aside things like me- medicine and engineers and, you know, like, all the infrastructure that we need to work in the world today. There's a lot of stuff that people do that doesn't really need to be done sort of thing. And it's like, it's just a matter of like calling these things out and letting people know where they are. Like all I really do is I hold up a mirror, I point to facts and I just reflect them back. Some people don't like what I point to. Some people see it and they're like, oh, I didn't see that in my blind spot. I'm appreciative of that. That's why I have those conversations that I do. 
If I'm not mistaken, you're from Canada, correct? Yeah. Yeah, because I've always, from what I've gathered from Canada, and I've been there only like a few times, but I've followed the politics there every now and then, and it's always struck me as kind of a trendsetter when it comes to a lot of these progressive policies that try to undermine otherwise natural human relations. And this kind of ties into like this whole like wokeism phenomenon that's engulfing the collective West. And it's more than just like a state like government policy. It's all encompassing. And as you mentioned, it's all over the private sector. Based on you've seen and heard from others, I imagine that this is also very prevalent in Canada, correct? And like corporate affairs. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's top down, right? It comes right from the government. And this isn't recent. This has been going on ever since Justin Trudeau took, you know, position as prime minister. I remember there was an announcement and there was a press interview and he had his cabinet ministers, which he all selected. And I think something like, I don't know, maybe 18 to 20% of the available cabinet ministers to pick from, because we've got the ministry of health, defense, labor, agriculture, you know, like all that sort of stuff. And, um, the vast majority of his cabinetry was either a visible minority or a woman and or a woman and a visible minority. And he was asked, you know, why is most of your cabinet female or visible minorities? He goes, well, it's because it's, I don't know what it was. It was like 2012 or something like that. It's because it's the year 2012 and, you know, we have to adopt to that. But the problem with that thinking is that the vast majority of the available candidates were men and competent men that had been around for quite a few years. A lot of the people that he picked were younger people with no tenure or very little to no experience. And it's like, why aren't we picking the best person for the job? Like if there's a fire, I want a firefighter that is strong enough to pick up somebody that's got smoke inhalation issues and carry them downstairs. I don't want a weak, small person because we have quotas for something like that. And that's just the way that, you know, society is trending here in Canada anyway. And, you know, I see it also in the U.S. and other parts of the world as well. Like you see it in the U.K. too, where they're, I mean, they have police officers walking around in high heels just for promotional stuff for Pride Month and stuff like that. But that's just the general direction of society, right? Like this is how they soften it. That's how they weaken it. That's how they get the sheep to comply, right? They bring it into the mainstream. Yep. It's been going on for a while Actually, I remember one case of a friend of mine. This is well before you saw this whole SJW wokeism stuff go down where he told me he got canned at his job for just saying, like making like an off the cuff remark saying, oh, that's gay. And mm-hmm. people like uh, there uh, around him like were just obviously taken aback by that. And like he went through like the typical HR process and like all this sensitivity training stuff. And they just like said like, right. screw it. We're just, you're, you're getting canned because yeah. you decided to use all oh, this profane language. But yeah, that's how the cookie crumbles these days. Now, what would you say are the biggest challenges from people that you've consulted with, with regards to getting out of the nine to five grind for them? Well, the biggest challenge is, People have been conditioned to be that, you know what I mean? Like, like humans are habitual creatures, you know, once they get into a habit and a system and a routine, get up, have your coffee, read the paper, you know, scroll through social media, you know, whatever happens to be commute to work for 45 minutes, sit in traffic, park your car, you know, they get used to doing that for a good chunk of their life. And whether it's at company A, B or C, it doesn't really matter. It's like, 
it's the same shit. It's just a bunch of different flies that sort of hover around it sort of thing. And you then have to convince them like, okay, well, if you don't want to do that, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result. It's time for you to unplug from these lies that you've, you know, believed in your entire life and understand that there's, Hey, look, there's another path over here. Let's shine a light on it. Check it out. And that's not always the best path for every, you know, for everybody. Sometimes they just have to look for the right company. That's a better fit for them. That's not, you know, woke. That's going to cram stuff down their throat. That's unnecessary, but entrepreneurship is a great path to that. It creates freedom. It's really the only real path to financial independence today, right? Aside from like the main jobs that you can choose to make serious money are going to be a C-suite job, CEO, CTO, CFO, a STEM degree job, science, technology, engineering, maths, a professional designation, lawyer, doctor, surgeon, high ticket sales, you know, you're selling private jets, yachts, you know, stuff like that popularity. So you're an influencer, you're a social media influencer, you're an actor, you're a musician. And then the last one and the sixth one is entrepreneurship. And in my view, entrepreneurship is probably the fastest and easiest path once you understand all the concepts and you get it right. And that's that's really why I, I put the course together because a lot of people have been asking me for years is like, well, Rich, you know, I've, I've got this idea and, you know, how does one become an entrepreneur? You know, I see you've been doing it for 20 years. What did you do sort of thing? And it's like, Gotcha. You know, I'll, I'll give you all the answers to that, you know, sort of thing. But it takes work because the mainstream narrative, the educational system doesn't want people to be entrepreneurs. It wants you to color within the lines. Yep. Yeah. They want automatons ultimately and people they can put through like the this whole conveyor belt. And the it really does start with like the public schooling. And it's like a pipeline of just creating a bunch of deracinated, lifeless consumer units that will just consume and not produce. Yeah, they steal your soul. I think it was Kevin O'Leary that said something along the lines of um, a salary is a drug they give you to get you to forget about your dreams. Yeah, that's a fantastic quote. And yes, it salaries are super addictive too. And a lot of people generally fall back on that, especially when you're going into like the upper middle class type of incomes. That's when a lot of people just become complacent and don't and they don't realize that their position is actually more precarious than they realize. And it's and especially against the backdrop of these woke corporate policies, you have to always be walking a tightrope. Yeah. I mean, I've got a friend of mine that works for big tech in Silicon Valley as a contractor and they're paying him like $700,000, $750,000 a year. And um, he's he's basically sitting through meetings now, listening to them. They deal with all sorts of, you know, elements of modern tech today, but but they're just listening to all this like, you know, let's talk about rainbows because it's inclusivity month for this, or it's, you know, this group has been oppressed for whatever. It's like the whole concept of entrepreneurship back in the day was build a better mousetrap. And it's like, what does whatever's trending or happening or the flag that's going on that you have to put in your social media bio or the pronouns that you have to use have to do with building a better mousetrap? Like businesses were designed to solve problems and improve society. Now they're just like, you know, let's see if we can pussify more people with these <laughs> new agendas. Yeah. Right? Yeah. They've become like almost like sinecures for some type and like make work programs for whatever group is considered like a victim on like on a given day there it's no longer like about productivity or actually solving problems because really entrepreneurship is at its core about solving issues and providing value now it's just just like a jobs program for whatever politically connected group is deemed the new victim group now 
I want to link some things together here. I've seen some people, uh, some content creators liken spinning plates to sales and other forms of like uh, business activity. How similar would you say are these concepts and why are they valuable to learn, for pe- especially for people who are both interested in getting money and having healthy relations with the opposite sex? Yeah, so let's so let's clarify what spinning plates is. So that's kind of like a term that was created where um, guys are encouraged to date multiple women in a non-monogamous fashion when weighing out some options, right? Because that's that's like the conventional approach that most guys take to women is, oh, I went out on a date and I liked her and she liked me and we held hands and we kissed and then you know whatever she touched my pee pee, you know, several dates down the road. So we're gonna get married, you know, sort of thing. And it's like guys won't take the time to vet women, uh, to see what they're all about, to identify what their past is like, what kind of characters they have, you know, sort of thing. So the notion of, of spinning plates really is just like date women simultaneously in a non-monogamous fashion and let the cream rise to the top, which by the way, is essentially what women do. Like they're like women are natural (laughs) plate spinners because, you know, like I said earlier, like women don't care about your struggles. They hang out at the finish line and they pick the winner. So when they're dating and they're weighing out options, they're dating a bunch of guys and the best guy, you know, gets to get the girl over a long-term basis, you know, sort of thing. So I guess the question you're asking is why is the notion of spinning plates good for not just dating, but applying to life in general? Is, is that what you're asking? Yes. And how, how similar is that to like sales principles? Cause I've seen people make those analogies before. Look, you know, Guys need to have options. Okay. It's it's like when you go out to interview for your first job, you're not taking the like the like the first interview that you get and they make you an offer, you generally don't take it, right? So it's odd that that guys will go out on six, like half a dozen, a dozen interviews, you know, before they accept the job offer. But when it comes to relationships, they'll they'll marry up the first girl that touches them, you know, sort of thing. So I think that for the most part. It's, it's more or less accepted that you have to consider options when it comes to career choices, placements, you know, things like that. It's more difficult to convince guys, you know, believe it or not, to date women in a non-monogamous fashion because one of the biggest things that I hear guys protest on is like, well, that's not what my religion says or that's not what my family says or isn't that wrong if I date, you know, three women simultaneously? Like, shouldn't I be telling them what I'm up to sort of thing? And it's like, no. Do you think they're telling you? Do you think that girl that you went out with, you know, the other night, you're the only guy that she's talking to in her phone? Women are never single. Women are always talking to somebody. So even if you're on a dating app and you're swiping and you have a conversation, chances are whether she's dating somebody, married, considering options, she's spinning plates herself, she's entertaining a bunch of thirsty betas on her Instagram or OnlyFans or something like that, she's talking to other guys. So I think it's important for guys to understand, like, not to overly ego invest into one option. Like, we don't drive one car for our for our entire life. We generally don't work one job for our for our entire life. It's almost impossible today to be with one female for your entire life. You know, so it's like, you know, you've got to look at the world and accept it for what it is and how it operates and maneuver in that environment so that you get the better results that you're looking for. As for the type of people you work with, what are what's the principal demographic of men that turn to you for help? Are they more middle-aged, recently divorced men, or are there a lot more younger men? I get them from all walks of life, man. They're generally in their 20s and up. Like, I don't deal with teenagers. There's a lot of teenagers out there that are, like, basically simping for content creators today, and they 
I don't know, they, they come up with all these, you know, bizarre terms and it's like, you haven't become anything, dude. Like, you know, <laughs> you can tell yourself that you're a G or whatever, but have you really made some serious money or you know, you're still living in your mom's basement playing, playing video games sort of thing. So there's a lot of younger guys that are a little bit, you know, delusional when it comes to, you know, where they're at. Most of my audience, I, I would say is probably about 25 and up. And it can be anything from heartbreak to I'm getting divorced and she's trying to steal my kid from me and I'm never going to see him or her again to I've got this problem going on in my business. I deal with real issues. I mean, like I'm close to 50 now. I've seen and done a lot in my life, everything from self-care to making money to running businesses, to dealing with women in all, all elements and aspects, whether it's marriage, divorce, dating, spinning plates, dating multiple women simultaneously, running a harem, whatever it happens to be. It's like... I've seen it and I've done it all and I help guys with all that stuff. So, I mean, my area of expertise is pretty broad, actually. In your estimation, do you ever see the red pill going mainstream or will it be just like a niche movement for people that are more psychologically like primed to go against the grain? Yeah, I think there has to be some sort of trauma that you experience in your life for you to be willing to accept, you know, the truth that unplugging from the matrix sort of brings you, if you know what I'm saying. I don't think it'll ever go main, mainstream because I think like as it stands right now, whenever people hear some of these sound bites, like if you just say something simple like men and women are different or. Yeah, radical concept. Yeah, I know. Like one commonly accepted term by Evo Psychology, um, a lot of guys have talked about this for for decades now. This is not new. Men are success objects and women are beauty objects. And if you say that on a mainstream sort of platform, they get pissed off. Well, why can't women be success objects? And, you know, why don't men, you know, look at women as success objects? And why do they have to be these objects of objectification, blah, 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 blah. And they start to get upset. And it's like, well, it's always been that way. Men have always looked at women as beauty objects. They want to protect them. They want to have children with them. Uh, there's nothing wrong with that. It's completely normal. And women have always selected from the best inventory that they could select from, which is why women don't care about your struggles. They want to pick the winner. And that's why they hang out at the finish line. So men need to make something out of themselves. There's no guy that has ever looked at a chick's degree on the wall framed in mahogany with little letters after her name going, hey, Bill, check out the degree on her. Look at the way that thing looks when she walks away. That's not what men do. <laughs> yeah, right? yeah, exactly. And, you know, conversely, women don't generally want anything to do with a man on a long-term basis. That's a bum. They'll have short-term fun, you know, with the alpha male that's been in prison that doesn't have a job and sleeps on his buddy couch, you know, on his buddy's couch if he's hot enough, you know, if he's a stud, she'll spend the night with him. But she won't generally want to spend a long long amount of time with him, right? Yep. So these basic novel concepts will never be broadly accepted by society because, because it moves away from their narrative of men and women are the same, right? Like that's what they've been saying for decades now is that men and women are the same, you know, third wave feminism, which is now really toxic feminism and more or less a supremacy movement that doesn't really like men. It, it, it wants to be better, which doesn't make sense to me. But yeah, like they'll never accept there, that there's differences between men and women. And it's like, okay, well, until you can get there, the rest of society is never going to get to the point where they understand these these basic concepts and narratives that are, I mean, as far back as our great grandparents and grandparents, you know, like basically understood that there was gender roles, there was there was blue jobs and there was pink jobs in the household, you know, sort of thing. And now all that's been turned upside down. So that's why we're in a environment right now where this is kind of like 
not mainstream and kind of hangs out underground and people find it when they want to find it. And they get upset about it. They call it misogyny sometimes. They say, uh, oh, you know, who hurt you or, you know, stuff like that. Because they don't really have anything to come, you know, come back with. So they just try to, you know, hit you with like the fifis. Have you noticed a trend of content creators that are not necessarily red pill, but are willing to selectively take red pill contents and use them to just grift and monetize for for just clout and making short-term money? Now, I think that's actually not a bad thing because I've because I've seen some mainstream, you know, creators sort of take some of these ideas and talk about them on their platforms. So it's, you know, it's an a la carte, like they pick and choose what they like that might, you know, suit their ego investments at the time. But then if you, you know, want to take them further down the rabbit hole, then they're not ready for that. And that's when they get upset with you. So it's like, you know, you can't, you can't really partially unplug from the matrix to see there, you know, you're either sleepwalking through life or you're not, you know, sort of thing. I know some people don't like binary terms, but it's like, okay, you might see like one or two things that you like, that you want to talk about. But then when you start getting into more deeper concepts and that's when you, then that's when a lot of these mainstream guys try to put some distance, you know, between, you know, something that's in my book, you know, for example, like the vast majority of the reviews on my book are like five star. And then there's always like a handful of guys. It's like, they don't like what they read because it hurts their feelings and it, and it destroys their ego investments that they've had for decades. So they'll say something nasty about it. It's like, okay, well you can get upset. It doesn't matter, but it, if you have a problem with the facts, the problem isn't with the facts, if you know what I'm saying. Yeah, it's a problem of you, ultimately. Yeah. Okay, let me just drop a, a hypothetical scenario here. You've got a 22-year-old who just graduated college, is about to enter the workforce, and also the dating market during his free time. What kind of advice would you give to this individual 22-year-old guy should really be laying the groundwork for his life to make something out of himself. So not getting into a long-term relationship with one woman. You need to understand what, what women are made of today. They're very, very different from my parents' generation, my grandparents' generation. I'd say about two generations back, they're very, very different from that. Women today are more promiscuous than ever. They've been told and encouraged by the toxic feminist narrative not to like men, not to be agreeable. You know, you hear these like hashtags, say like boss girl or boss babe. And it's like no guy that's worth his salt that's chase excellence all day wants to come home to a disagreeable bitch that's going to like, you know, run him up the flagpole over every little thing sort of stuff. So it's like a good part of their 20s should be spent figuring out what women are really made of. Read my book, read the um, Evo Psych Studies you know, there's some great podcasts on my Unplugged Alpha series that, you know, deal with a lot of those concepts. And then when it comes to like self-care, don't be fat. I mean, you know, 70% of the North American population is fat, obese, you know, somewhere in that category. Something as simple as not being unfit seems like a novel concept today, but it's like biblical. It's like, you know, the vast majority of the population is totally out of shape. So be in shape, lift weights, pick up heavy stuff, put it down, eat well, learn how to fight. I put this off too late in my life, but I tell guys, you know, younger guys, join the dojo, learn the competency skills that are tied into combat sports. I don't care if it's boxing, kickboxing, Muay Thai, Krav Maga, pick something, learn how to fight. Women like a lethal guy. They want a guy to be lethal. It's, you know, it's a whole 
you know, speak softly, carry a big stick, you know, sort of thing. Like they want to know that if the shit hits a fan that you can deal with it. Right. If there's a bang in the night, she's not going to be like, oh, honey, let me go get this one because of equality and feminism. And, you know, now it's my turn to go see what that noise is downstairs. She's always going to rely on the, on the guy. Right. So that's another big myth that like breaks the narrative of like the toxic feminist nonsense. And then the other thing I would say is learn how to make money. It's out there. You know, there's billions of dollars moving through the economy. They keep printing it. It doesn't really have that much value because they keep making it and pulling out of thin air. But figure out how to make ungodly amounts of money because money solves massive problems. You know, any problem you have in your life. And it's like, you know, you hear these guys that are like, well, money doesn't make you happy. And it's like, the only people that say that are people without money. With money. When, yep. <laughs> yeah. When you have money, you without can solve fail. just about any problem in your life. You can live anywhere you want in the world. You know, it's like rules apply to poor people. They don't apply to people that have really put a dent in the universe and made serious money. They can solve a lot of problems by making banks. So, I mean, if you just adopt those, those three things, self-care, learn how to make bank and understand women, your life is golden. I mean, your life will be ahead of 99% of the population by the time you're 35. All right, let's wind things down for today. Rich, it was an absolute pleasure chatting with you. And before we depart, please give my listeners an idea of where they could follow your work and also feel free to plug your business course as well. Yeah, um, I guess the central pace place to go would be my website, which is richcooper.ca. This pretty much links to everything there in my book, my supplement line, my course, uh, my YouTube channels, my podcasts, uh, booking me for coaching. So that's probably the best place to go is just my main domain, richcooper.ca. Fantastic stuff. All right, to my listeners, thank you again for your generous attention. And with that, El Nino has spoken.